I'm Kayla Branch. And I'm Nuria martinez Keel. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. This week, the strain on families to work and teach children from home has been intense. But local churches and community groups are stepping in to provide safe spaces for kids. Joining us is religion editor Carla Hinton. Carla, thanks for being with us today. Sure, thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Carla, you recently wrote about churches in Northeast Oklahoma City opening their doors to become virtual hubs for neighborhood students doing distance learning. What role did church leaders say they're trying to play by providing those services? Well, one of the interesting things that uh, that I found in this particular story was that the uh, churches, there were three of them that I, I talked about in my story, and they are not open for in-person worship <laughs> and haven't been, you know, since like March, uh, maybe uh, April, early April. So I thought it was fascinating that they decided that uh, the uh, neighborhood students and their families uh, were were important enough to go ahead and, and, and reopen, uh, you know, of course, with uh, safety precautions in place. Um so it, it, one of the one of the groups uh, one of the groups that got together with a Prospect Missionary Baptist Church is a, a nonprofit called Freedom City, and apparently they have been doing some some mentoring and tutoring uh, with Oklahoma City school children already. And the pastor at Prospect, um, Lee Cooper Jr., said he was familiar with them and really loved what they were doing. Uh, Brittany Carter Thomas and her husband, the Reverend Ricky Thomas, are the uh, leaders of Freedom City. And so he just called them and said, hey, can you all uh, put this together for us at Prospect? Because we've got all this room, and, you know, we're not using it. And so that one that one uh, seems to be uh, going uh, well. And then the Urban League uh, became a uh, community hope center, but they realized that they could not get uh, everyone who needed help probably wasn't going to come to to the urban league they needed to have some satellites out in the community so while there are children at the urban league they're offering uh, themselves as a community hope center they thought hey let's let's open some satellites and what better what better place than the neighborhood churches and so um Fifth Street Missionary Baptist Church and Greater Mount Olive uh, Baptist Church opened their doors so it it was a, an interesting partnership on all fronts Definitely. I mean, it sounds like a lot of collaboration going on. And, and Nuria, you worked on a similar story about community centers and nonprofits that are making their spaces available to students who need a place to do online learning during the day. So how did, was it a similar, you know, identification that this is a need and, and how did they kind of get to the point of saying we need to do this too? Yeah, so the needs that they really identified for students uh, included students who maybe didn't have internet at home to start the school year. Uh, So they needed a separate place outside of home to be able to even access their online schoolwork. Um, Another need that they found was, you know, kids of working parents who maybe would be stuck at home all by themselves and and they needed some place where there's maybe some more supervision, some maybe tutoring help or, you know, just people being 
being there so parents can know that their kids are safe. So that those are some of the specific needs that have been identified. And, and you know, some of the communities, uh, our community centers that I've talked to were already serving kids who are pretty under-resourced. So maybe they're dealing with uh, a food insecurity. Uh, so they already were needing a place that could give them, uh, you know, a breakfast and lunch during the day. Um, so, you, you know, it's it's partly some of these kids are, are kids that these centers were already working with, um, and they just found that when their schools closed, they needed that third place uh, to be able to access their education. Definitely. And Carla, you mentioned the Urban League of Greater Oklahoma City uh, earlier, but I want to come back to them because, yeah, from your story, it seems that they really are leading the effort for churches to operate as these virtual learning hubs. So how did they kind of get into that position and what kind of funding are they able to use to uh, keep these programs in operation? Well, uh, from what I understand, they so the uh, the state uh, allocated some of the CARES Act money for these uh, what they call community hope centers for for children and their adult caregivers. And I believe the first one in Oklahoma to receive those uh, that funding was the uh, Boys and Girls Club. Of, of Oklahoma County, one of their one of their uh, groups got that money. But then I guess uh, I think Governor Stitt and his uh, wife talked about uh, wanting to have more of these in the in the community. And so apparently the Urban League of Greater Oklahoma City uh, got one of these. I, I'm not sure it's called a grant, but they got some of that funding so that they could open as a uh, community a health center because not only uh, hope hope center not only do they offer you know uh, free wi-fi obviously for the kids and tutoring and that sort of thing but they also offer uh, lunch and snacks you know for these for these children because essentially it's like another it's not school but it is kind of a tutoring learning center i think they even call them remote learning centers so that's that's where that that funding came from and the urban league apparently thought that uh, since they knew that maybe not everyone was going to be able to to be there at the Urban League, not all children would be able to go there, then they would maybe um, see if there were places out in the community, like churches, who wanted to open up. And, and so I'm, they uh, opened them up using that funding. Carla, how were these satellite learning sites set up at the churches? Um, kind of take us through what it's like to be in one. You know, what resources did they have there? Just what was it like to be at, at one of these satellite locations? Okay. Well, one of the one the one that I'll talk about is uh, the one at Prospect, not Prospect, um, uh, Fifth Street Missionary Baptist Church. Because I did talk to uh, Sherry Coleman, who is the uh, first lady, uh, if you will, at the church. Her her husband is the uh, minister of the church, and she is also a counselor at Millwood uh, School, and she has a teacher certificate and. Uh, has is an adjunct professor at OU, and she had told me that her and her husband had been talking about, you know, how are we, how can we help in some kind of way? But there were all these questions about how do you set this thing up, right, and 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 be safe and that sort of thing. And so she said when they got the call from the, the from the Urban League that there was a possibility that they might uh, ask them to do this, they thought this is perfect because the Urban League already uh, had uh, things in place or, or was able to tell them, okay, we're going to need tables, you know, this far apart. We're going to need uh, people to do the, these things. You'll have to have, uh, you know, this many teachers, um, tutors, and uh, assistant uh, teachers and that sort of thing. Um, 
at Fifth Street, they have a a teacher there who walks the kids through some exercise. You know, they get outside, you know, which is an important part of the day. They're able to, to go outside. They do get their a lunch and some snacks. Um, she said that they, they were putting uh, affirmations, positive affirmations on the walls and, and things like that to make it a, you know, a, a positive environment. Now, that probably comes from her, <laughs> her being a teacher slash counselor person because I, I wouldn't have thought of that. But I guess they want to make it cheery and that sort of thing. Um, so it's just another way for them to uh, utilize, utilize their church building. But so apparently the kids go through what would typically be a school day in some sense, you know, obviously it's not structured like a school, but I think they're trying to make it as much like their environment at school as possible. You have time for time for someone to help you uh, with your studies. Um, You have some, maybe some free time there to kind of do studies on your own. Then you have exercise, then you have meals, Uh, you know, obviously playtime, you know, with, with each other. Um, the virtual uh, part of this is really important. So if there are kids who, who don't have uh, Wi-Fi at home, they can use the church Wi-Fi. So so I, I think that's that's how they're they're working. And um, they open Monday, so it's really still early. But I, from what I understand, it, it's successful. I, I think also that there'll be they'll have more kids as time as time goes on, and people are finding out more about it. And I, I don't know if you're finding out the same thing. Yeah. That, that they'll have more kids coming as they see, oh, we can go down to the church. Yeah, and one of the things that um, one of the pastors talked to me about, Lee Cooper at Prospect, was that a lot of the the family members, you know, uh, parents have to go to work. You know, they have to go to work. And so there was going to be this sense of worry. Uh, First of all, would my children be safe at home by themselves? And then two, Who's going to help them with that schoolwork that they're responsible for if I'm at work? And when I get home, you know, how's that going to work? Am I going to have time to get, get this together? How, how far behind are they going to be if I'm not there to see that things are going on? This way, they have help. And I will mention one last thing. So Sherry Coleman at um, Fifth Street uh, told me that one of the things she was excited about was uh, she had been able to uh, get some uh, college students uh, as some assistant uh, teachers so that when they're not at, at, at college, either virtually or, you know, on campus, they can help, too. So this was kind of helping them as well, you know, be involved with the community, um, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I thought that was really neat. Definitely. And the the capacity question is one that's really interesting. Like you mentioned that at the bottom of your story, it seemed like they were maybe just halfway full and yeah, the, it's probably fluctuating, it seemed, how many students are showing up, but the help is still needed. That's right. That's right. And I think the, um, Brittany Carter, Carter Thomas at, uh, with Freedom City, who has in charge of the uh, virtual hub at Prospect, said that their max was 25 students. So if you think about this, that may be why they need all these places, because they, they can max out at so many. So if you have 25 over here, 25 over here, you need four of those kinds of sites to help a hundred students. So I, I'm now I'm realizing why they want all these different places. Right. And Nuria, so Oklahoma city school board recently voted to begin implementing a return to school plan to seemingly address, you know, some of these problems. So how quickly will that happen? And why did board members say they felt like this kind of a plan was necessary? 
Yeah, I would say this is more of a directive from the district administration. The The board voted uh, back in the summer to kind of give special powers to the superintendent to make COVID-19 related decisions. And, and that's usually reserved for kind of a, a special circumstance. Um, so I think this it's not necessarily a vote, but the board really did give a lot of input into what they thought because uh, on Monday's meeting, uh, Superintendent Sean McDaniel uh, proposed bringing pre-K and kindergarten students back into schools only two days a week and starting that as soon as September 21st, which is this Monday. And that the school board's immediate reaction to that was, wow, that's really, really soon. Um, like s- schools and parents didn't start getting notice that this might be happening until Monday of this week. So they would have had like a five days notice or so to prepare to send kids back to school. And the school board didn't like that. It's not so much they were against sending kids back to school at all. It was more that they didn't think that short of notice was the best they could do. So the uh, superintendent, he said, I hear you loud and clear. We're going to have a district leadership meeting. Uh, They had that on Tuesday where they seemed to discuss uh, a lot of the input they had gotten from the school board and from other stakeholders. And they came out yesterday after that meeting and said, okay, we're not planning to bring pre-K and kindergarten students back until October 19th. And they would be coming in a split A-B schedule. If your kid is in group A, they come on Monday and Tuesday and they have a packet of activities to do at home the rest of the week. If your child is in group B, they'll come on Thursday and Friday and they'll be at home at the beginning of the week. And no, no child will come on Wednesdays. Uh, that's a strictly a, a virtual day and schools will be deep cleaned. Uh, so that's the structure. And then they're thinking about bringing uh, first through 12th grade students back on November 9th. Obviously, this is a rapidly changing situation. Um, so things could, you know, things could change. Um, it, it might turn out that, um, you know, elementary, middle and high school students that are older might not be able to come back at all if we have a greater surge of cases before November. Um, But the initial plan, they kind of want to do this incrementally. And I think, you know, they said the Oklahoma City County Health Department gave the thumbs up on this incremental plan. And I think the fact that it's a little bit at a time is is what, what they liked about it. Uh, they've already had several hundred students come into school buildings, and those are mostly students who maybe had special needs or, or really special circumstances that were in really small groups. Um, but so now they're trying to see if they can bring pre-K and kindergarten. And, and the biggest reason given for that is uh, of all the students in the district, these students are the least familiar with traditional schooling, and they're having probably the greatest difficulty with learning online. I mean, parents, parents apparently, uh, parents and guardians uh, have been telling their schools, have been telling the district, I have to sit next to my four or five-year-old the entire time they're online to make sure that they are doing their schoolwork, to make sure that they're paying attention. They're just so fidgety. Uh, so. I would say, you know, district leaders are saying that, you know, these young, young kids, um, just this virtual 
education is the least conducive to them. So that's why they're wanting to bring them back first into the classroom. Um, and they're trying to keep class sizes small enough um, that they can really space everybody out. I think they said no more than 15 kids in a class, although it seems like a lot of um, pre-K and kindergarten classes would have um, even single digits of, of students if you cut them in half, uh, cut the class size in half with um, the A-B schedule. So that's the plan, but to kind of cap all of this off, the superintendent acknowledged, like, we've got to be prepared to stop and start because some districts are doing really well, they're not having as many cases, and other districts are having a lot, and they're having to have entire classes, entire schools learn remotely uh, because it just didn't work out the way they hoped. Carla, for our last question, just more broadly, I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, what does this problem show us about the the country's childcare infrastructure and just the childcare needs that parents are dealing with, and especially within the context of school closures and a pandemic? I think it, it, it tells us there's a huge void in in terms of what kinds of resources are really out there for, for parents who have to work. Um because when when I'm because I I think what I heard that there was this kind of a an outcry from uh, parents who were just wondering what am I going to do because I have to go to work and now my kids are going to be at home and and they can't afford uh, uh you know uh, child care and 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 sometimes child care in in certain places is they don't even have it it's not available you know what I mean so. I, I think that this shows that that we're going to need or the community is going to need more partnerships like this in the future. And maybe they can look at uh, things like this, uh, you know, post COVID and say, hmm, what can we do to kind of expand on, on that, expand on this so that we can we can be there for our uh, working working parents and their, and their kids? Yeah, that's definitely something I think, uh, you know, in the pandemic a lot of times people are trying to find silver linings and to find, you know, some, some positive, some pro, and maybe that, yeah, like you said, is one of them that we could see some changes um, in the country's childcare infrastructure moving forward. I will say this, you know, I'm, I'm an empty nester now, but I, I had three children and, and I remember when there was, when there were snow days and things like that, you're like, ah, what am I going to do? And, and so, and that just happens, but I cannot even imagine what would happen if you had a sustained period of time where, you know, your kids were just going to be home? I, I I just don't know. And I paid for child care, you know, quite a lot. And and but but sometimes it, it those kind of things just wouldn't be there for something like this. You know, what, what would what would you do? I don't know. Great. Well, thanks so much, Carla, for coming on and talking with us on the podcast. We really appreciate, really appreciate it. it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We're going to probably be talking about this kind of stuff for a, for a long time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how these problems play out in the future. Thanks for joining us this week. You can read all these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at Oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.